0: Hey guys, welcome to My Condolences, the podcast about the hilarious and harrowing stories of life after death. I'm your host, Laura Harmon, and today I have Melissa with me, and we're going to talk about her amazing son, Alex. Melissa, welcome.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Laura.
0: Well, I'm really excited. You are another one of my awesome Instagram connections, and it's kind of cool because you and your husband travel in a motorhome, right? We
1: do. We do. Yes. That's awesome.
0: I grew up uh, in the nineties on a road trip with my family doing the whole like honking in the back seat with my American girl dolls, like trying to get them to all the semis to honk. Do you, I'm sure you guys don't do that because you're adults, but
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't, we don't do that. But yes, I remember doing that as a kid too.
0: Yes, it's like there's something fun about feeling like you're in a bedroom on the road. It's very, very exciting. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your son, Alex? What was he like? Tell me about your relationship. What are some of your fondest memories of him?
1: You know, we have this unique situation after somebody's gone that you have to be um, cognizant sometimes of feeling like you're not sainting the person that's gone. So I know (laughs) I've had people kind of look at me sideways sometimes when I say things like, he was honestly um, one of the funniest, kindest people that I knew, and I was fortunate enough to, to call him son, for him to call me mom. It just um, he was one of those larger than life personalities. Um, he literally filled, you know, when he when he came into the room, he was the person that just naturally commanded attention because he was funny and gregarious and outgoing, and could kind of he was a in high school, he was one of those people who was a varsity athlete and also in show choir and also wow. in, t- in technology club on a state level as an officer. And and so he had like this, this vast array of things that he was interested in and good at. And Alex never, he was that unique person. I wasn't lucky enough to be this person in high school. He was that unique person that had friends in every group naturally and just he liked everybody everybody liked him he could relate to people and he never really thought twice about whether people liked him or not like it wasn't didn't worry him a lot of us worried about being popular and different things like that and he just was he just was who he was and didn't make any apologies for who he was which was part of what was so you know unique about him so he was just, uh, and to this day, we, we laugh about all the Alex-isms that there are. There's so many things that he said and ways that he said it that we will probably always use in our family because it's just, he was just so funny.
0: <laughs> well, you said that you have three children. You have an older daughter and a younger son. So... Tell me about what it was like when he was going off to school, you have to, you know, pack him up. I know you'd gone through it with your daughter, but what was it like when he was going off into the world?
1: Um, when he was going off into the world, um, he was, um, or going to college, the last year that he went to college, before he went to college, he was physically living with my ex. So I had gone through divorce. And I was traveling a whole lot in the career I was in. I'm a former executive chef and I traveled a lot. And so at the time it made sense for us to have the two boys residing with, they called him dad. He would raised them. He was our stepdad, but he'd raised them. And then when I came back to spend time with them, um, so that last year, it made sense to keep them physically in his house. Although I didn't see them any less. Um, mm-hmm. And so he wasn't leaving my house. So that that was the difference there is we had already had the year of not living together, even though I was seeing him mm-hmm. all the time. There wasn't any discord between me and my kids. It was a decision based on, you know, traveling. So, sure. um, and, and, and and it wasn't long. It was during that year that I actually, after about five months of that, I decided to quit that job because I needed, it was not the same to come home and not have my kids in my house. So I decided to change that and stay at home, you know, stay back in town, but Alex was Alex, and he was—he said to me, Mom, I appreciate that you've gotten a place, and you've quit your job, you know, I got a different job, that you quit your job, and that you want us to come live under your roof, but I'm about to go to college, so I don't need to move my stuff one more time, I love you, <laughs> I'll see you, I mean, he was just such a matter-of-fact person, and I, I think he gets that from me, I'm a very laid-out matter-of-fact yeah, person. Yeah. And so he said, I love you. I'm not going to see you any less, but you know, I'm busy and I got lots going on. I don't need to move my shit from your house or dad's house (laughs) to your house. Um, and so when I moved, when it was time to go to college, I did all the same stuff. We went shopping. I was still the mom. So I was the one who was taking him to get all of his, all of his things, all of the, and so we moved him up to college, did the whole, um, move in thing. And because I, you know, uh, my daughter did it, but she did it a little less typically. Um, Older children tend to be trailblazers and sometimes a little more rebellious. Yeah. And so it was my first time to move and traditionally move somebody into college like that. And um, he, he, I mean, he was in heaven when he first went up. There It was about two and a half hours from Kansas city where he went to college. So it wasn't, um, it wasn't too far, but he wasn't going to be dropping in on us either. So
0: right, he had the
1: the world by the tail. He was excited. He was going to a school that was academically progressive. He had graduated high school with an advanced international baccalaureate degree. So he had the world by the tail. He was excited and ready to, I think, go explore and have his life.
0: Well, I, I think it's such a unique ability just to kind of not only be someone who socially is so, Versatile, you know I think so many of us are are, are nerdy or shy and want to want to be one of everyone 's group and it 's amazing that he was able to be embraced by his friends and his community so much so so why don 't you walk me through the transition of him being at school and and did he was there any kind of a shift in him was there let 's talk about that experience leading up to what happened um,
1: there was There was a little bit, um, Alex, um, his first year, well, not within the first month, he went through freshman rush and decided to pledge, um, a frat and, but was living in the dorm and, um, fraternity brothers were not allowed to live in the house the first year so that wasn't so that first year um the grades stayed okay it took about a year and then and he got a serious girlfriend um and during that year between the girlfriend the fraternity um he became an officer in the fraternity um the grades fell a little bit behind the partying and the officership, I think took its toll independently. You know, he's mm-hmm, trying to be responsible mm-hmm. on one hand and be an officer and a leader. And then the inevitable partying that goes on. And unfortunately too many of these fraternities was happening. And I think it became kind of a whirlwind of things for him. And by the time he was in his spring semester of his second year, um, it had taken its toll. His grades, he was in a program to fix his grades. He wasn't being kicked out, but his grades had dropped to a point that he was on like a probation of mm-hmm. sorts. Mm-hmm. But at that college, they have um, a program to bring you back and he was doing fine in that program that semester, but he had broken up with a girlfriend of a year. Mm -hmm. and right before that semester so that semester he started I I call it just feeling the load of everything that was going on in in his young life sure and honestly um and he talked to me about it um told me he was going to go see the school counselor I said do you need to come home I mean I've been I've always been really close with all my kids so I, I felt like I was aware what was going on I feel like I asked difficult questions. I feel like I said, you know, do you need to come home? Um, He, you know, had, had voiced that, you know, he felt like he needed to speak to somebody and that, you know, he had had some thoughts that were disturbing. And so I asked him about that. And, you know, he said the things that made me feel like it was, you know, he was, he was going to be okay. Yeah. He had a handle on it. Yeah. As much as anybody, I don't feel like anything he said to me was anything I didn't go through in college or a lot of people I know haven't been through in college where you have a crappy semester after a year of partying too much or fill in the blank. Everybody's kind of different, but Mm -hmm. you know, whether you get too distracted by something else or whatever, it's, it's, you're trying to figure out a whole lot of things at once as that a person that age. And he, already, he lived up there full-time at that point and was living in the house, um, in the fraternity house, and was an officer. But his the place he was working closed down that summer because um, it's a small town, so a lot of times that happens in college towns. And so he, he decided to take a six-week period and come home. A five It was almost five weeks, I guess, not quite six. So he was home from that last week of June, clear through July, and we even went on a vacation with um, – my my daughter's married, but my my youngest was still at home, and so the us and my husband and Alex's dog took a car trip and were went to Montana to see my brother. So um, we had a vacation um, because I knew he had had a hard semester. Laura, I I felt like I was kind of watching him when he first came home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, And he stayed and he he came home and stayed with me. So when I say home, he was with us. I just didn't see anything any different in him. He just seemed like Alex. He seemed fine. He was social. He was playing his video games. He was up in his room cursing out loud. I mean, just when he was (laughs) playing his video games. My brothers are both
0: gamers. (laughs) It's like three in the morning, you know, hear like, what the beep, 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 beep." Yes, They they get into it. (laughs)
1: Uh huh. So I mean, I didn't see him doing the things that would have worried me. You know, he wasn't isolating. He wasn't. uh, You know, he didn't hadn't stopped talking about his future. I mean, all those things that, when you worry about someone possibly being depressed, I just and I grew up with that in my family. I had a mother who had a lot of issues. So I feel like I I knew kind of, but when I didn't see it, I didn't want to be that mom that was going, "Are you okay? Are you okay?" And so I kind of pulled back and just let him have his time at home and before he went back we sat down at lunch just him and I we went to lunch at, our, at his favorite spot and I said okay I've avoided this for 5 weeks but I just need you to look at me and tell me you're good because you seem good but I know this semester sucked I know you were struggling I know you quit going to the counselor and you you know seem to be fine but are you fine do we need to and we even talked about lack of direction at the school he was at and did he you know I said you know you don't have to He was a real committed type of person. So he was trying to stay committed to the idea of being a man of character and all the things that the fraternity said they were about. Mm -hmm. And, but he was super frustrated with all of the members that only cared about partying and blah, blah, blah. So we dealt with that. And I said, I just need to know you're, and he said, mom, I'm fine. I, I, I would tell you if I'm not, I promise. So I sent him, you know, him and I stood, it was only him and I, when we packed his car to send him home and his dog, Harper. And we went back and forth to the car and packed it. And then we stood on the front porch and he hugged me and said, I love you. And I started to cry and he said, mom. And I said, I've had you for five weeks. I said, I just, am going to miss seeing your face every day and having you here. And he said, it's okay. I'll be home in about two weeks. I'm coming home to see Nicolette's baby. and And it was all just whatever. And off he went. And so that was, you know, that was
0: kind of his, his, and that was, that was the last time I saw him. It it's interesting that your son sounds like he was such a committed, can do, popular, well-adjusted young man. And then when kids go off to college, I especially feel like for boys, it is hard to manage that wanting to be cool, the pressure of the Greek life. Um, I both my parents were in the Greek community and 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 it's a lot. Like when I was at Florida State, it's there's a dark side to that whole world of um you know, everybody's just rushing and everything's fine. So I could see how it would be a difficult transition for him and going through a breakup all within the first two years of college is a lot. So he goes back to school. And then why don't you walk me through what happened next?
1: Well, he was, um, he went back on a Friday, I think maybe a Saturday and, um, it was the very end of June. He was, like I said, going back Because he lived there full time, Mm -hmm. not because it was time for the rest of the student body to go back. Um, And throughout that week, because I just missed his presence, I may have texted him a few more times. When your child gets older and they aren't living at home, you don't necessarily interact with them every day like you did when they were younger. You know, you know that from being a child with parents, right? So um, it wasn't like I talked to him every day, but because he had been home, um, I think I felt that need to kind yeah. of <laughs> I was cutting the cord again. Yeah, right? yeah you're
0: like transitioning him, yeah, mm-hmm. back to being an independent guy.
1: And so we had I had tried to talk with him a time or two, like called and didn't get him. Like thought he was, you know, he was working. So I figured he was just at work. And so then I'd text and say sorry, I was just trying to connect. And so we had the texts, but we didn't have um, any phone calls. Um, and then Saturday. Well, the weekend came for us, and Sunday morning, um, which was August seventh, um, that morning, um, I can't even tell you. Well, I mean, I can tell you why now, but that morning, I remember getting up and trying to, you know, do coffee, do normal stuff, and I just kept kind of laying back down or sitting back down. And and, and um, my husband was cleaning our our master suite, our our bedroom bathroom, and I, so I was laying in bed, and I remember. Parker had come in and told me he was leaving to go, um, rock climbing with some friends at the gym, not like a mountain. Mm -hmm. And, um, I said, okay. And I remember saying to GR distinctly, my husband, I said, I don't know what the heck's wrong with me. I said, I'm not sick, but I feel so off. Hmm. I said, something is just wrong and I don't know what's wrong. And I don't, Parker had probably been gone 20 minutes. I can't really tell you, but about (laughs) 1221, there's, I can tell you what time he walked back into my room. He walked in my, I heard the front door and he walked in the bedroom and I was, you know, sitting on the bed and I could just see his face. Um, that there was something really wrong, and as a mother, I went to all sorts of places. Had he been in an accident? Was a, obviously I knew he he looked fine, but I was worried he had hurt someone or, you know, car accident. That was the first thing that came to mind. I also thought about his girlfriend, and I, I I got out. I mean, he wasn't speaking, and I could see the tears and I could see the distress, and I I literally got out of bed and stood in front of him and touched his shoulders and said, "Parker, what's wrong?" And he said, "Mom." Alex is dead. They found him in his room and he hung himself. Oh. And I'm pretty sure I f- fell to the floor. He he would have to re. We haven't revisited that moment a whole lot. Um, and I have kind of a blur and my husband remembers parts of it. Um, I think I spent a lot of time during the next few hours when we were driving to Kirksville where he was to uh, just not believing it was real I think that was part of my desire to get there was that I you know this surely is a nightmare um Who contacted so my, my son, son? my son, my so my son found out because that's what I was going to say so that's not a normal way to find out the police should have been at my door or fill in the blank but in today's world everything happens so fast yeah and Alex's best friend, who had been his best friend in co- in high school, that also went to college with him but was not in the fraternity, um, who was up there, contacted Parker because they were afraid he could he would find out some other way. These kids weren't even thinking about like, just somebody has somebody notified the you know the parents yet and things like that. And Parker apparently, so he found out in the car while he was driving and said he had to pull over and try to gather himself enough to turn around and drive the mile back home. And I've thought about that a lot too. I've thought, you know, as a mom, our hearts can go all these places. I've, I've had extreme amounts of pain for the fact that Parker had to come tell his mom. Right. I mean, wow, that's a, that's a lot to have to do. Um. So that's how he found out was from a friend and in we were probably out of the house in about 20 or 25 minutes. Um, I had to call my daughter. I mean, I just remember, I I thought, I tell people that for that first few weeks, I feel like I have like snapshots, Mm -hmm. like almost this, I remember this clearly and then people will say things about what happened after that. And I'll think, yeah, no, I don't got that at all. Yeah. 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 So yeah. So that, that morning, that day, that that 30 minutes it took us to get out of the house or whatever it was, I, to me, it feels like it took a minute to get out of the house, but I know by the clock it, but we were up at, at, at the house within three hours of getting, of them of him being found.
0: Once you got there, how did that process go for you guys? Were, were you met with police? Were, was it just the, the brothers that were there at that point? How, how, how did they handle that transition?
1: No, the police were gone. Wow. We were met by police. Um, we were met by the, the fraternity brothers and a pile of his things that they had already packed.
0: Um, wow. I, I can't imagine just the, the nature of something like that happening. You would think that there would be that order of hi this is so and so from the local police department this is this is how it's going you know and then to have something like that that's so i mean i can't imagine going from having your son tangibly right in front of you you know being able to hug him and see him and then be greeted with a bunch of his stuff i mean i don't even know how it almost feels cold to me how that was done
1: it was very cold um i can't even look back on it and say if anything, it's gotten worse over time. And I and I feel like now's a good time to like, interject about two minutes worth of stuff that I feel like is extremely pertinent. And then we probably have to step away from the college piece. And you'll understand why when I tell you. But for about 20 days, um, well, it was exactly 20 days, I grieved and memorialized my son. Um, and then on August 27th, we got the phone call that another fraternity brother had taken his life in the same manner. Wow. And then in April we found out on April 6th, another fraternity member took his life in the same manner in the house. And then when we went up to just to look into that one, we found out that there had actually been another a few months prior. So in the course of eight months, we've lost four. And then that summer we lost another. So by the time Alex was gone a year, we had lost five related deaths, and that's an entirely different podcast episode, so that's why I'm saying I don't, um, we, have a, we currently have a, a, an open court case. Alex's death appears to be part of a more complicated situation. It definitely is suicide. But it's it's complicated. So,
0: well, let's um, let's let's leave a pin in there because I want to honor your privacy and the situation that's going on. Um, obviously, that is uh, tragic that there's obviously some kind of you know repetition that's happening there. I want you to talk to me about how it affected you. I, I, I first of all, I can tell just by talking to you that you are a wonderful mother you have so much warmth i can tell that you're one of these kick-ass moms that doesn't take any shit but is the one that you know if i got in trouble in the middle of the night i could call you and you'd show up no questions asked like i can sense that on you and so how did it affect you as a mother not only obviously having to deal with your younger son who please give him a hug for me because i can't even imagine that experience but how did you feel as a mom after finding this out, going through the the funeral, going through the, that next year that we talk about being so daunting of, of not having your son. Walk me through that.
1: Well, that that year, I mean, because there was different pieces of it, and I almost lived compartmentalized. Like I had to compartmentalize my grief, and then I had to compartmentalize what was happening with the other stuff, with the other deaths, and the other boys, and um they were really kind of while they obviously connect it's almost like circles that are drawn that there's an overlap Mm -hmm. but they are the majority of it is is separate but yet coexisting so it's a it's a surreal place to live and I came into losing Alex before I lost him feeling like I kind of knew what grief was um I was 30 when my dad got a stage four lung cancer diagnosis and was gone within four and a half months um i was he was 48. he was 48. so um and then six years passed. And then within every four years after that, I lost my grandparents. I had all my grandparents and I was very, very close to several of them. And so I lost my grandparents along the way. And actually my last grandparent was 94 and didn't die until a few months after Alex died. So I lost him that same year. Um, but, so I thought I knew grief. Um, I didn't know this. Um, child loss is like its own thing and suicide complicates it even further i think and so um i spent i was surviving um i was um still doing a lot of the things that i did at least outwardly. I would, you know, I was, I had, a, I had one of my granddaughter's birthday parties at my house still. And um, I still did some, it wasn't like I completely shut down. Although I did sit in one spot more than I ever had. I'm not a sitter by nature. Yeah. I told you I was, you know, I'm a chef. So I'm a stander and a doer and a and I sat more than I've ever sat in my life in the quiet, in the dark, you know, because mm-hmm. there's just There's so much noise and there's so much, there's just so much.
0: I do think it's incredible how, when you go through something that is so traumatic, that our bodies have this amazing ability to, overcome it, whether it's in a self-protection where you, you're you almost numb, where you are sitting in that feeling and you're almost paralyzed, but also how you can still get up and do things and host your granddaughter's birthday party. And it, it is incredible how resilient our bodies are, but I really identify with you of having those really visceral snapshots and then absolute nothing. I had someone recently um, who I was friends with when my dad died and I hadn't seen her in years and years I'm talking more than 10 years and she was like, "Oh, don't you remember when we came to your house and we brought you this and that and da, da, da. da. and I was like, "No. <laughs> no. I have I, that's very sweet of you and, and I feel terrible, but I I have zero recollection of you ever even coming to my house ever." And then you realize, "Oh, I guess we were closer at the time, but it your brain just copes in so many different ways and and, and in a way that's kind of a sad thing that we have to endure that people don't understand that it really traumatizes those parts of your brain where that, that stuff never really comes back.
1: Correct. And and I feel like, um, it was definitely after the first year, like I was in survival mode and we made some decisions we probably shouldn't have made in that first year regarding business and some different things that we probably, you know, by the books, know better, but it was after that first year, um, That I remember at one point thinking to myself, I think I've been waiting, wondering when I'm going to get back to my old self, like Mm -hmm. she's just going to show up one of these days. And I don't remember what it was or what I saw. I've been a seeker of information since this, since this happened, whether it was getting involved with AFSP or whether it was online work or finding podcasts or whatever, I've been a seeker of answers. And Comfort and things since the beginning, but something in me snapped one day, and I went that old me 's just gone that doesn 't mean there's no shred of me inside i I obviously still foundationally am the same person sure. my My wit and horrible sarcasms not changed <laughs> a whole lot, um, but I knew that I was on a cellular level changed the day Alex Absolutely. left and Um, I had to suddenly, and that was actually part of what drove our decision to get into the lifestyle that we're in. I mean, I, I know my husband's the one that's slower to change and I'm the one that's more of a risk taker by nature. And so I knew when I sat him down and told him I couldn't do what we were doing anymore, that it might take weeks for him to get on board. And within an hour, we had decided to sell everything, including both of the businesses and buy a motor home. And not, so we had been saying someday about this for a while. We'd see motor homes and we'd be like, someday when we retire, that's gonna be us. And we kind of went, what if someday doesn't come? Both of his parents are gone. They left, they they died early. Both of, you know, I I don't have a relationship with my mother, but um, my dad was gone. My grandparents were gone. Now I've lost a child. And so I thought, what are we waiting for? And I literally, I looked at him in the new business we had started. We had one that was running and successful, but we were dumb enough to start a second one, like nine months into my loss. And I freaking hated it. I, I don't, yeah. I don't say hate very often, but I hated it. And I looked at him that day. It was, we had opened it. We had bought and opened an insurance agency. That sounds fun. And if you know my personality, <laughs> I mean, it turns out most of the people that knew me were just terrified of the fact that they were going to say something to me that was going to set me off. And so they later said, we had no idea why you did that. Cause that's so far from anything. you would like. And I'm like, um, but I looked at him and said, not only will I, do I not want to do this? I won't. I yeah. said, life is too short and I yeah. hate this and I will not wake up and do something I hate. And what happened was I didn't really realize it till we had been out here a while, but I needed to strip, I needed to strip my life down to like bear every, here it is. It's me. Very few things left. We didn't store things. We sold it. We got, yeah. I mean, the kids took what they wanted, but we, we sold it. We kept what we needed and fits with us in the motor home. And we decided to reinvent ourselves and say kind of a, kind of a carpe diem moment, right? We even named, we even named the RV YOLO. That was a big thing. Oh my God, auction. that's you know, amazing. Was, <laughs> um, and um, you know, sometimes even in his voice, I'll be like, YOLO, because there right. was, I, that was a thing when my boys were in high school, and if I heard it once, I heard it 500 freaking times. I'm sure. I'm like, Alex, everything isn't YOLO. Right. <laughs> you know, every, you don't get to blame everything on YOLO. Right. <laughs> um, so it was kind of an honoring him that I went, okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. YOLO. YOLO. Uh, <laughs>
1: I think it um, it is funny
0: how like those, you realize that the walls really close in on you really fast when someone dies. And, and it's interesting that, you know, we had the same family home that we lived in forever and ever and ever. And it was expensive and it was a lot for my mom to have to upkeep. And and eventually, you know, she had to make the decision to sell the house. And when we were going through 20 plus years of stuff in in a good sized house, we got rid of most of it. And it was very hard for her to get rid of these things because they were a representation of that version of our life but to for me I don't have a lot of stuff I got rid of almost all my stuff from childhood I, I don't even have yearbooks because which I realize I might regret one day but for now it's like no it, it's it's really not about the stuff it really is about who you love, who you connect with, who you have those conversations with. And, and that's it. Um, Cause you can't take it with you. And, and it really right. is a, a polarizing experience when you go, I have all this shit that they're not here. That that's for us that it was such a weird thing to be like my dad had a closet full of clothes, but he's not here. So you think for a while, oh, we got to keep all this, or we got to, you know, memorialize them in some way. But then really it's, it's them that we care about. It's having them in our hearts and with our spirits that I think we—that's all we need.
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. And of course, everybody's different. But I started that process 21 years ago when my dad died. My parents had been married. My dad was only 48, but he got married to my mom at 18, so they had been married for 30 years. Um, okay. So they had 30 years worth of life in this house, big house that they had built, and um my mother shut down. Cause that's what she does. And, and I, so I ended up dealing with most of their life when my dad died and going through their storeroom and all of the boxes of mine and my brother's things and everything just put me in a space that even 21 years ago, it kind of dictated my not being attached to things. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I would say, I'm not going to do this to my kids. They're not going to be left with an entire flipping house full of stuff that they go. Why does she have all this shit? We don't Mm -hmm. need it. We don't, we haven't thought about it in 30 years, mom. Why do you have it? You know, right. Type of thing. And so I had gotten to that place and I'm a fairly non-pomp and circumstance type of gal anyway. I'm that person that never saw the need for a huge wedding, even the first time, you know, things like that. And so to think that all these things weigh people down is insane. And so I had started that then and always tried to keep a hold on how many things I had in my life and not letting stuff dictate whether it was Christmases or whether it was just our life in general. And so when it came time, to try to figure out how I was going to survive the loss of Alex. It kind of just was a light bulb one day when I said, all of this stuff, all of this clutter in my life has to go. I can only focus on the people and the relationships and getting back to who I'm supposed to be now. Mm -hmm. And if I have all this stuff, if I have to clean it, if I have to maintain it, if I have to put a new roof on the house, if I fill in the blank, I just knew that I couldn't be me if I stayed in that, that I would, it was going to swallow me whole. I I felt like it was. And so that was how I, you know, coped with it, um, was saying we got to, and I think a lot of people, you know, do make changes after major losses. It's not going to always look the same, but for me, that was, that was kind of what that was about was, and no, you won't, I don't think you'll regret not having the yearbooks. I mean, there's a a, (laughs) once in a blue moon I go, Hmm. And then I go, Oh, who cares? I, it would be yeah. worth the space. up. <laughs> I'm like somebody,
0: somebody else out there in the world has our 2007 high school yearbook. And I'll be like, can you send me a picture of that one page? You know, I don't, I don't really love those times anyway. So it's, it's, it's funny that people just feel obligated to have to preserve those moments, but they're with us. So I wanted to ask what is one of the funniest or worst things that someone said to you after you lost Alex?
1: I mean, I've had some, definitely had some funny stories. Lots of people have funny stories about Alex, but um, one of the worst things people said, um, I, I mean, cause this one, this one came a lot. Um, and especially from other parents. Um, I got told, I don't know how you're doing this. I could never do this myself. And I don't even know how you are really so. like back then I would think, okay, I mean, I, my answer for a while was, well, I wasn't given a choice, yeah, but the the further I got into it and realized that they're saying that because they I've learned that people need to be taught how to, how to talk to us. There's two ways mm-hmm. to react to these horrible things people say. We either say, I mean, you have to right away say, doesn't matter, meaning, does this person matter? Am I going to see them ever again? Like is it a stranger? Is it someone that's in your life? If it matters. That's your moment to teach them, to say, Mm -hmm. to say what you need to first thank them for caring enough to say something, because that's so much better than the people that turn the other direction in the supermarket. Mm-hmm. And I've had people say to me, Oh my God, people did not run away from you. I said, Oh my God. Yes, they did.
0: Yeah. Don't because lie. here comes,
1: Never. here comes, here comes the mom with the dead kid. Holy shit. What am I going to say to her?
0: Mm-hmm. Even though
1: I sat next to her for years and years in the bleachers and our sons were great friends and all that, I'm going to turn and go the mother F another way because I don't want to deal with her. Yep. And, and so it's far better to say the wrong thing to somebody than it is to say nothing at all. Yep because, and and they do it because they're uncomfortable. And then it comes back to, well, I'm sorry that my loss makes you so uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. Because so I live with it
1: 24 hours a day, mm-hmm. seven days a week. It's, it doesn't mm-hmm. go anywhere. And um, so that's when you can teach someone that doesn't know that wants to be there. And you, you know, you can say something compassionate to them. Like, first of all, thanks for, thanks for caring. And second of all, I hope I'm glad you don't know how this feels. I'm glad sure. you don't know what to say because I wouldn't wish this on anybody and all things considered, I'm, you know, because they'll say things like, you know, and when they say, um, I don't think I can do could do this, you, I say things like, you'd be surprised at what you can do. Um, I would have said that if I was you as well. Sure. But I just wasn't given a choice. And I, I, I then remind them that my that not only... Uh, probably the worst thing, this actually brought me to the worst thing you can say to a parent who has other children that's lost a child, when they say at least you have your other kids. That's the absolute worst thing you can say to a grieving parent, because they are not plates that you can go out to Walmart and get another one. They are, they are independent human beings, and my loss for Alex is in no way buffered by the fact that I have my other two kids absolutely his loss he is his place is still his place he's still alex he's still my middle child I, I, you don't get the other two don't get a squish in there and take over his spot and make up for the fact that he's not there there's well, that doesn't happen and
0: for your, <laughs> your your own children as well that their their brother's not gone to right. them you know that's the thing that people don't understand we talk about you'll hear that a lot in maybe in like a more traditional like divorce setting that like oh the mom the stepmom's going to come in and replace the mom when you right. lose someone like that their, their place hold is there forever and and they are missing from your life forever and i i viscerally responded to when you were talking about the grocery store because i i think people can be cowards i I'm, I'm, I'm often disappointed when i see um parents especially adults you know not a 22 year old but an adult person who doesn't know what to do and turns the other way and and what i what always blows my mind and and, and i've gone through really really big periods of anger towards people like that where i go, Why do you think you're so special that that's not a possibility for you? And that's the thing that always blew my mind. We have, you know, cause I'm from the South. There are a lot of people that were like, well, we're blessed. We're blessed. And it's like, so we're not blessed because we experience this loss and who's to say that, you know, something couldn't happen to your child or your father or your husband. And, and that's the thing that I've learned the most of always being compassionate towards other people because you don't know, it's not, life isn't a guarantee. We know that better than anyone. And I think that it, it is brave of you to try and educate people on how to do it. But I never forget those people who turned away in the grocery store or told me that, Oh, it was too hard to go to your dad's funeral because you know, it just weirds me out. Like those people are on the shit list for life. Sorry. Like they're never coming back. And, 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 and that's fine. It's like, I, it's not our responsibility to, um, make those people, evolve, they can only go through that themselves. And and a lot of times I've said this many times on this podcast, I get phone calls or texts or messages through Facebook down the road that go, wow, this person just died. I had no idea. I was a total asshole. I'm really sorry. And that's all you can ask for and just say, thank you. Pay it forward. Um, right. You know, that's our option.
1: And with suicide in itself um, and the idea of the mental health component that goes along with it, there's an entirely another level to what I've had to learn to carry with not only the condolences of his loss but the stigma that's associated with suicide in general and I think it's it's added that extra layer but it's also unfortunately put me in a place to have to realize and I I'm a very I try to be a careful analyzer and not just a reactor like I try to think about things and respond to things um you know ninety five percent of the time I succeed, five percent of the time we just let our emotions go but but I try to be somebody who takes something in and thinks about it, and I've had the first couple times that happened, I did nothing where people said very callous or off color things in general about suicide um, around me, knowing like okay, so it's totally different if you're in a room it's it isn't it isn't because I've had all both situations happen, but you know, it's different when you're in, a, in the company of somebody and they offhandedly say something like, well, I just want to, I, I, if I have to do that again, I'm going to kill myself or that type of thing. Um, you know, I've had somebody that knew stood and stood in front of me and, and Alex did not shoot himself, but nonetheless, they put a, a pretend gun to their chin and pretended to blow their head off the same other half of that same couple who also knew I had lost my son to suicide, pretended to hang themselves with a rope in front of a group of people that I was in one time. And, you know, again, with where you, you, you say, do you don't want to be the overreactor? Who's that person that suddenly has become super sensitive to every, you don't want people to be um, afraid to, you don't want to be that Person, oh God, I can't say anything around Melissa. So, but I've come to the other side of it to realize that mental health and stigma about mental health in general and suicide is never going to get better if we don't realize that our words matter, Mm -hmm. and our words do matter. We would never, and I say never. You know, I've already kind of prefaced it that I have a little bit of a sarcasm. I have a dark humor. I. I listened to a podcast called uh, my favorite murder. I've always liked true crime (laughs) drama. So, so, so I, I, I'm not a delicate flower is what I'm trying to say, but I've come to realize that there is unintentional things that someone slips up on, but then there are people that just plain don't pay attention. And we would never joke about somebody's parent dying of cancer. It's not funny. We would never joke if we found out someone's loved one was murdered. Like we don't joke about, murder, not generally. I mean, yes, there's always circumstances for things, but as a general rule in a public setting, that's not a laughing matter. We have got to stop thinking that talking about killing yourself or hanging yourself or jumping from a ledge and splatting on the ground are funny things to talk about because they're not. It's what makes the people that struggle with the darkness feel like they can't talk to anybody because it's a joking matter in our, yeah, it's it, not it, it
0: invalidates you and in your experience. Uh-huh.
1: And so, you know, I've had to learn to compassionately say to people in case you didn't realize you said this, you did. And I need to make you understand why it matters. And everybody mm-hmm. that I've done that to, and I haven't done it with everybody because sometimes you say this doesn't matter this person I'm never going to see again or whatever but when it matters you take a moment to say I need you to understand why this matters and everybody that I've done it with has been thankful so
0: absolutely it's all about um, awareness right i mean that's mm-hmm. that's that's the thing that's it's kind of a cross to bear that you you're one of the ones who you know has to educate people and expose them to it but the ones that are worth keeping around, hopefully are receptive to your vulnerability. I wanted to ask, because you are so strong and you have been such a rock for your family, what could someone have done to help you at the time?
1: That's actually why I'm doing what I'm doing now, which is- yeah. tell me about it. I've, I've set aside- the part of me that has been a chef for so many years. And, and, you know, I told you that I kind of worked on reinventing myself. Well, I didn't even know I was going to need to do that on the level I did until I was out here on the road for a year. And I originally came out here with the idea that I was going to write a cookbook and teach people how to cook in small kitchens and all of this stuff. And I started, um, a, a, Instagram and Facebook page and stuff called Cultivated Journey. Well, Cultivated Journey has now just kind of become our journey and who we are more than anything because it's like I looked at my husband one day and said, I don't care about teaching people how to cook in an RV. I don't care about it at all. Mm-hmm. I want to do... um I need to do something that matters in this world. I need to do something, whether somebody can boil water in an RV doesn't matter to me. And so Mm -hmm. it isn't that it's not important to eat, but (laughs) it just suddenly was not important as to where if I had hadn't lost Alex, maybe I would have been perfectly content doing it, but it goes back to, we can't undo what's been done and we can't change what's happened to us. So we can only change how we respond to it. Mm -hmm. So I said, I need to change how I respond to what's happened and this has, I have to do something. And so I'm um, I've been going to online school for several different modalities, including becoming a master grief coach. And so I want to become someone that someone can come to, to where I can help provide tools, help them find the strength within themselves. Cause it isn't about, I'm going to be able to fix anybody. Nobody can fix this. It is. It's about learning, learning to live with it, learning to get from surviving to what I call studying, where you study yourself and then go on to thrive and learn that you can live an and life, not an or life, mm-hmm. which is you can be happy and sad.
0: Mm-hmm. You can
1: be super excited and devastated. You don't have to be happy or sad. And I think we live in that world where we think we've got to get rid of sad And we have to just keep figure out how to get to happy. No, you can have happy and sad. And in my world, they're going to live right next to each other for the rest of my life. I will never have a happy moment that doesn't have sadness right on the other side Mm -hmm. of the door because Alex wasn't here to be a part of it. And in an out of order death with a parent, that's a necessity. He was not supposed to go before me ever. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So um, I will always have that with me, but I'm going to laugh and I'm going to find happiness and I'm going to I want to provide what I feel like I needed and I couldn't find, which was a place to, you know, I finally, I have, I just didn't find it in the beginning. I would have, I want to find podcasts where people can, where I can relate. So that's what I want to be. I want to be somebody that other parents that have lost their child to suicide can go and feel safe. They can go and know, they can have that horrible duality of knowing that they don't want anybody else on the planet to understand how they feel. Mm -hmm. And yet you truly need somebody to understand how you feel. So it's that duality. I mean, I have friends now that I've made through child loss to suicide that we sometimes say, I'm so thankful for you in my life. And I wish I didn't have to have you in my life.
0: Absolutely. I think that's a beautiful sentiment. I think it's, um, it that's probably one of the most, true things you can say about grief, that there's beautiful things about this process. I mean, I would never meet someone like you ever in life. Why, how could we have met? You know, But we're also bonding over a lot of pain and a lot of uh, experience that most people don't have. What advice, and I know you're going to end up obviously being a huge advocate for this when you launch your new platform, but what advice would you give a parent who loses a child to suicide?
1: To give themselves a lot of grace and then give themselves more. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Because especially in the beginning, it takes a lot of patience with yourself to realize it. It's kind of like you have to strip it down to some sort of multi-step program and say, I'm going to live just today Mm -hmm. um, in the beginning you have to get through the milestones, you have to make it through the first year and then realize it's gonna get harder. So, yeah, it's gonna keep going. Um, but but you have, I mean, and I don't, I'm never ever gonna tell somebody this is gonna get better or easier because I don't think it does. I think I'm stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, I had somebody once explain it in a grief class that I went to a symposium that I went to listen to a speaker. And I'm sure he took it from somewhere. I don't think it was his original thought, but he talked about the fact that people with traumatic grief often think that they're carrying this giant boulder. Think about a physical boulder on your back and that in their mind, they're at some point going to be able to lay this boulder down and move on. And he said, what really happens is that as you're hunched over and you're carrying this boulder, eventually you realize you're standing up and the boulder's still there. You've just gotten stronger. Mm-hmm. you're better adept at carrying it. It is what it is. My dad was famous for saying it is what it is. Um, mm-hmm. Someday I'm going to have that tattooed somewhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I still say that. And I say that, and it's not callous. Um, if anybody that knows me knows it's not, but I say that sometimes about Alex's loss mm-hmm. um, because it truly is, it is, what it it is what
0: it is. Yeah.
1: I yeah. mean, I, I can't change it. I could, I could, Fill it full of fluff and sweet words, sure. but it is what it is at the end of the day. Yeah. And I would give my entire everything I am to change it, trade places, do all that. That's a given, but I can't. So it is what it is. Now, what do we do?
0: Yeah, and you got to honor where you are now.
1: You know, people have sometimes talk about the five steps of grief, which <laughs> it's not a thing. Um, it, it's an old idea. It's not a thing. But I still am surprised that I see it sometimes in some of these grief forums that there are mm-hmm. where people will talk about the five steps. And I think, okay, that's not a thing. You don't work through five steps and it's over. Yeah. And then um, you're like,
0: okay, great. It's done. Right. Acceptance. It's more
1: like, it's more like a big gnarly onion, right? There's just tons <laughs> of layers and a lot of crying. Yeah. <laughs> and it's painful. I, if, you want to get it over. You get to know, <laughs> I liken everything to food. So that's a, that's a, I <laughs> that's, love that. of, that's, a that's a chef in me, but Um, yeah, it is. It's like a big old giant gnarly onion. It's just got lots of layers and you never know what's in there. And it just makes you cry the whole time, but it's a shit show. Like you said, it's a shit show. And, um, you know, what are you going to do besides figure out, I mean, and so that's what I want to do. I want to try to be somebody that can help other people figure this out with me. Yeah. Because I say with me, cause I haven't figured it all out yet either. Right.
0: Have and that's the, uh, no, and, <laughs> no. And and, and, and truthfully, I, I do think that there's, I always get really um, weirded out by people that act like they're experts on pretty much anything. It, <laughs> it, it is an evolution. It is a process. And it's something that, you know, it, it changes day to day for everyone season to season, year to year. Some days I'm flying along and everything's fine. And then I, I had a dream two nights ago about my dad and I, I woke up and had kind of forgotten about the dream, but I told my boyfriend, I said, it was really weird. I was crying really hard in my dream last night. and I, cu- I can't remember why. And a couple hours later I went, oh, I had this dream and I-, I have recurring dreams where I see my dad. And instead of him being like, hey, how are you? He has like a new life or he didn't really die. He just didn't want to be with us anymore. Or, you know, he's ignoring me and I can't get his attention. And, and those are those things that um it's it's painful when they show up, when and I don't think unless you've lost them, you don't understand what that's like. So I wanted to ask you a couple of final questions. Uh, where do you think Alex is now?
1: Um, well, I think he's, I think he's with us. I think he's, um, I personally, um spent a lot of years, um, as an atheist. So I don't, theism was never a part of my upbringing. Um, I, I, I dipped my toe in it for a while. I, I've, I've done the home. I tell people I've done the homework. I read the book. Um, but it didn't change my views. I ended up back where I was before. And since Alex's death to say my, what I call faith, because mm-hmm. if you really define faith, it isn't just about whether you believe in a Christian God or not. Sure, sure. So for me, Um, I've always believed in a spiritual realm. I believe in the fact that we are a spiritual being inside of a human body. So, um, I believe that his spirit who made him Alex, um, is still there. It's still out there. And you know, you don't want to get all matrixy and think they're in another dimension necessarily. But I believe his spirit <laughs> is still with me. Yeah. Although he would think that was super cool. I can think there'd be nothing cooler than him living in a matrix of somewhere, right, right, right? Right, right, right? But 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 you know not literally. So I believe he's still with me. I have signs that he's with me. I know other people do too. I don't um, necessarily believe in heaven and hell the way traditional people sure. do, but I I've come to believe that I'm a spiritual agnostic, if that makes sense. So, you know, more, more open, more open-minded to, um, you know, not really knowing what's out there, but believing that, you know, there is something else. I've, I've always thought there was something. Alex was my kid who was a ghost detector kid. Love
0: like
1: it. He, we did some of that stuff. And so, Um, together as families we stayed in some haunted hotels we did things and Alex and I were the two that were into scary movies that were into ghost hunting and so we have that connection so I do sometimes talk to him and say I know you're out there right I know you're you're haunting with the best of them so yeah so so I think he's I think he's um just in a different different form and and it sucks I want him in this form sure I, I think he's I think he's uh, still with
0: us. So if you could sit down with him back at the table again and make him his favorite meal, what would you say to him?
1: That it's okay to not be okay. And that sounds so cliche, but it's just true because I think that's what makes so many people not speak up. I think I would say it's the, the, the two cliches. It's okay to not be okay. This and, and this can get better. Mm-hmm. I promise you this can get better. And for Alex, he was definitely along the lines of a lot of people who who choose in a moment to end their life. He was a person who didn't want to burden other people. He was there for everybody else.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And so the thought of burdening other people, and so that's why we have to get through to people that we love that are struggling is it's not yeah. a burden and yeah. it's completely okay. We're mm-hmm. it's a we have to if we learn to show our own vulnerabilities and say things like I'm not okay today. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I've had to learn to say to people when I've had engagements before and then I decide I don't want to go cause it's a social sure. thing or whatever. Sure. And that's harder in the first several years. And sometimes still is depending on who I think the crowd's going to be. And those things I just don't want to deal with. Um, mm-hmm. I've had to learn to say, you know what, today's shit. And I'm not, I, I just, am not going to do it. I'm, I'm not in a good place today. And, and so the more we model that, the more I can hope that we can, and I have think, the Alexes of the world say, you know what, I'm not okay either. And I don't know what to do about it.
0: Absolutely. And, and I think it's brave of you to lead that way. That only very recently started becoming an outward part of my life. I had a friend tell me once that uh, my falling apart looks like a working mom with twins at home on the honor roll. And I was like, thank you. I mean, it's a great compliment, but I also realized, but I still have shit. I still have all these things. And then I wasn't very good at communicating to people because I felt like I, I didn't want to, you know, burden anyone. Why don't you tell me, do you have a name for your grief coaching that you are going to do? Is there anywhere you want people to go to find you? It's called the leftover pieces.
1: Um, and so that's where it can be found on Instagram. Um, the leftover will at some point have a webpage, Um, and that was even born out of a, um, situation. I mean, the subtext I tell people to it is the leftover pieces of my broken heart. Um, but it was somebody that said accidentally one day that when Alex died, they also lost Melissa as they knew her. And then the phrase that they said after that was, and we were, we were then left with the leftover pieces of who she is now. And at first, and I'm, 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 I'm I'm unpersonalizing that because I want to protect the person that said it, it was a family situation. Mm -hmm. Um, but they, it it hit me really hard at first, like in that first few moments, I thought, holy crap, I've tried so hard to still be there and to still be the right person. And yet I've still failed.
0: I failed. Absolutely. And,
1: and, and, and then within a few, it was like a few weeks later out of nowhere, it literally was one of those things that drops into your head like that, and I went, Mm -hmm. the leftover pieces. I had been trying to come up with names. I had been doing everything I could, and all of a sudden, I just knew, and then I found myself, like, doing what we do and taking notes Mm -hmm. and furiously writing things out, and I kind of went, why does something like the leftover pieces have to be bad? Like, we love a leftover piece of cake. We love a, (laughs) you know, I mean, there's plenty (laughs) of things that we love if there's leftover pieces of... So I thought to myself, and when you get to the Instagram page, you'll see right now it's a rough logo, but the final one is being worked on where there's the idea of a heart that's been put back together, but there's a few missing pieces. Mm-hmm. And that's honest to goodness where I exist is in building something meaningful from the leftover pieces. I don't have to look like I did before and my heart doesn't have to look like it did before to still function. So that's where the, the idea for the the brand and what it kind of means and you know I'll get to talk about that I'm sure a little bit when I start my podcast but my launch date is June 16th so which is Alex's birthday
0: so well that's beautiful Melissa and I want to congratulate you I I really love that image because even though there are broken pieces there's still holding space for the things that we've lost and I think you are an incredible incredible person and advocate for this community and I want to thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing your heart and your experience Um, and I hope that we can continue to keep alex's legacy alive by promoting his story and and sharing ways that we can help other people and be there for people like you and your kids who have lost you know their brother and son as well so i just want to thank you so much for coming on and and talking to me
1: thank you so
0: much for having me it was it was wonderful to talk Great. And thank you guys so much for tuning in to this episode. Please like and subscribe, rate and review, and follow us along on the website, mycondolencespodcast.com. And if you're interested in coming on and joining us, just send us an email. Thanks guys.